from Washington, D.C., this is On the Ground. After announced immigrant raids all but fizzled this week, the Trump administration turned to attack four progressive members of Congress, all women of color, who fought back. Weak minds and leaders challenge loyalty to our country in order to avoid challenging and debating the policy. He does not know how to defend his policies. So what he does is attack us personally. And as politics of distraction heats up before the 2020 election, progressive activism keeps the focus on human needs. Spirit of compassion, open our eyes to see the faces of mothers and fathers who risk everything, including their lives, for the sake of their children. May we see them and our immigrant neighbors, not as threats, but as siblings whose dignity is intertwined with our own dignity and whose lack of freedom calls into question our own freedom. These stories and much more coming up. Welcome to On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Averam. Well, in D.C., the weather is hot and the politics are nasty. This week, Trump doubled down on his attacks against four progressive congresswomen, all women of color, Representatives Ilhan Omar, Ayanna Presley, Rashida Tlaib, and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. At a Greenville, South Carolina rally on Wednesday, Trump characterized the push for social justice reforms by these legislators as negative criticism of the United States, saying that if they don't like the U.S., then they should leave. Trump's comments initiated a crowd chant of send her back, referring to Omar, who was born in Somalia and is the only one of these four women not born in the United States. While much of corporate media covered Trump's racist attacks as political theater, some reporters took this opportunity to recount Trump's attacks on black and brown people. This is CNN political analyst April Ryan speaking on Thursday. So this is the beginning. This is the ramping up of the 2020 presidential campaign for this president. This is the beginning. And I'm telling you, if this is the beginning, we've got a long way to go and it's going to be even worse. And I remember I remember when he started with Obama and we saw how that spiraled and went into more. And it's gone into Colin Kaepernick, LeBron James, Maxine Waters, Frederica Wilson, even the royal Meghan Merkel, April Ryan, Yamiche Alcindor, Abby Phillip. Where else will it go? This week, all four freshman lawmakers held a press conference about Trump's initial attack on them, and we'll hear their voices later in the show. In addition to inside the Beltway coverage of these latest attacks by Trump, new facts were uncovered about the source of wealth for Jeffrey Epstein, the politically connected convicted sex offender who was denied bail and denied house detention in his Manhattan mansion by a federal judge on Thursday. And while these outrageous and scandalous stories dominated the news cycle, important hard-won milestones on policy and social justice may not have made the headlines. For example, even as Representative Ilhan Omar was being attacked this week, she introduced a resolution Wednesday affirming the use of boycotts as a tactic that is constitutionally protected and a form of free speech for social change. The resolution does not specifically mention the boycott, divestment and sanctions movement or BDS that targets the apartheid state of Israel. But Code Pink Women for Peace cheered Omar's legislation as a counterweight to H.R. 246 a pending measure that seeks to oppose, quote, 
efforts to delegitimize the state of Israel and the global boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement targeting Israel. End quote. Jewish Voice for Peace also applauded Omar's new resolution, praising her and co-sponsors for, quote, unwavering support for human rights, free speech, and the fight for social justice everywhere, end quote. Also on Thursday, the House of Representatives passed the Raise the Wage Act aimed at guaranteeing all American workers a minimum wage of $15 an hour. This is a major win for the National Fight for 15 movement. Only three Republicans, Representatives Brian Fitzpatrick of Pennsylvania, Will Hurd of Texas, and Christopher Smith of New Jersey joined House Democrats in supporting the legislation, which would raise the federal minimum wage to $15 per hour by 2025 and end sub-minimum wages for tip workers. After the House vote, Senator Bernie Sanders issued a statement urging Senate leader Mitch McConnell to bring the Senate version of the legislation up for a vote, saying, quote, If Senator McConnell wants to vote against that bill and explain to the people of Kentucky why he believes a $7.25 minimum wage is acceptable to him, That is his prerogative, but he should not deny the rest of the Senate the opportunity to vote for this bill and increase wages for 40 million Americans. No one who has a job in America should be living in poverty. Let the Senate vote, end quote, Sanders said. Speaking of Sanders, the presidential candidate gave a speech about Medicare for All this week at George Washington University, calling on fellow candidates to join him in rejecting campaign funding from big pharma or insurance lobbyists and defending his Medicare for All legislation against a lobbying campaign that claims that the measure will create an unaffordable tax on the middle class. Now, my Republican friends and some others seem to think that the American people hate paying taxes, but they just love paying insurance premiums. Oh, my God, dear, the insurance premium is here. What a wonderful day. Oh, wow. Let's celebrate, hey, another 2,000 a month for insurance. And small businesses, they just love it every month, paying those insurance premiums. In climate and environment news, the Grand Canyon Centennial Protection Act, which would permanently ban uranium mining across one million acres of federal lands, including inside the Grand Canyon National Park, was passed Wednesday in the House Natural Resources Committee, chaired by Representative Raul Grijalva, Democrat of Arizona. The measure was introduced on June 4, 2019, on the 100th anniversary of the Grand Canyon becoming a national park. Also in climate news, a coalition of environmental justice and national climate organizations announced the Equitable and Just National Climate Platform, a commitment that advances the goals of economic, racial, climate, and environmental justice to improve the public health and well-being of all communities while tackling the climate crisis. Goals of the platform include a healthy climate and air quality for all and sustainable electricity, water, and transportation for every community. The coalition released this video that begins with the voice of veteran activist Mildred McLean, founder and executive director of the Harambe House in Savannah, Georgia. Environmental justice and climate justice is the same. It's about justice. We're dealing with elementary school children who have been exposed to lead and arsenic. We live close to the 
two slaughterhouses, dog food companies, chemical storage facilities, tank farms, railroad tracks. Extreme weather events are more frequent and when you already have a vulnerable community that is already environmentally degraded, you're going to have more flooding and ground contamination. This is a historic moment. You have a collection of leaders from national environmental organizations, the directors of environmental justice organizations, signing an agreement that commits all of our institutions to work together on a set of policy solutions that puts economic, racial, and social justice at the core of what we're advocating for. Dozens of major environmental and environmental justice organizations have signed onto the platform which is detailed at ajustclimate.org, ajustclimate.org. Finally, in culture and media, the new Hollywood drama Official Secrets about government lies told in the run-up to the U.S. invasion of Iraq was previewed at two standing-room-only events in D.C. this week. The movie starring Kira Knightley tells the story of Catherine Gunn, a former analyst for GCHQ, the British equivalent of the secretive NSA or National Security Agency in the United States. Gunn tried to stop the impending invasion of Iraq in early 2003 by exposing governmental deceit carried out by U.S. President George W. Bush and British Prime Minister Tony Blair in their claims about Iraq. On the Ground attended one screening of official secrets at the National Press Club, where we ran into journalist Sam Husseini, who wrote extensively about the run-up to the invasion of Iraq. He said that the movie Official Secrets, quote, does not explicitly address, but gets at the complicity of governments, international institutions, major media, alleged political opposition figures, and others in the launching of the Iraq invasion. In the U.S., that, that included media figures from Judith Miller at the New York Times to Tim Russert at NBC to political figures who included not just Bush administration officials, but also Democrats such as Joe Biden, John Kerry, and Nancy Pelosi. Here are excerpts from the trailer for Official Secrets. What we know is that Saddam has this material. We don't know that. I mean, he just keeps repeating the lie. Just because you're the prime minister, it doesn't mean you get to make up your own facts. Someone in this building has betrayed their country. If you are found to have withheld information, you will be charged with a breach of the Official Secrets Act. If this is real, you can go to jail just for having it in your possession. You're a spy. You work for the British government. No, I work for the British people. I do not collect information so that the government can lie to the British people. Intelligence may be being manipulated to take this country to war. This paper needs to stop taking Tony Blair at face value. You had nothing to gain and everything to lose. This could result in a prison sentence. Do you want to risk it all? This war is historically unpopular. It's everywhere. Every country. Biggest demonstration in human history. The war is illegal. The public is entitled to know why. My motive was to stop a war and save lives. I have to tell the truth. 
Official Secrets is scheduled for general release nationally at the end of August. And those are headlines and happenings. When we come back, my interview with Gerald Horn on International News. Stay with us. On the ground, on the ground show.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Averam. And for more international news, I'm joined by our geopolitical analyst, Professor Gerald Horn. And where are you joining us from today, Gerald? Uh, sunny Southern California. Okay. All right. Well, it's really hot here I, in DC. I suppose it's hotter there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Speaking of hot, a major story this week has been fallout from Donald Trump's tweets concerning and, and, and doubling down with statements since then about uh, the four freshman congresswomen, women of color, uh, Representative Ilhan Omar, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Rashida Tlaib, and Ayanna Presley. And so even though this is an international segment, I want us to start with Representative Ilhan Omar, especially being from Somalia originally, and she's been targeted since the initial comments uh, because she was born outside of this country. Well, it's apparent that the 45th U.S. president will run for re-election in 2020 on a basis of racism. Congresswoman Omar touches four important bases for Mr. Trump. That is to say, she's a Muslim, the religious card, she's a woman, the gender card, she's of African ancestry, the so-called race card, and she's an immigrant. Meaning that she's a perfect symbol to help to focus all of the hysteria of the 63 million strong Trump base. What's even more ironic, <laughs> and perhaps painful, is that he may win. This recent comment at the Greenville, North Carolina rally, where thousands were chanting, send her back, apparently targeting uh, Congresswoman Omar, represents a failure to understand U.S. history. If you look at the history of this country going back 250 years, there was obviously a pro-slavery faction. That's why there's so many Africans in North America to this very day. And obviously there was an abolitionist faction. There was mostly, of course, a focused and centered in the African-American community, with a few exceptions, like John Brown. Uh, who oftentimes is blown up by subsequent generations of historians as being a stand-in 
for a goodly number of Euro-Americans, which to me seems equivalent to trying to write a history of West Bank settlements by focusing on pro-PLO elements within West Bank settlements. That is to say, focusing on a minority or perhaps a non-existent group as a stand-in for an overwhelming majority. I think that another faction that does not get attention but has been brought to the fore by Mr. Trump's comments and the comments of those who greeted him in Greenville, North Carolina, is the white man's country faction. Uh, That is to say, they didn't want any black people in North America, be they slave or free. And if you look at the history of the state of Oregon, which when it entered the Union just before the U.S. Civil War in the 1850s, It basically said no black people allowed. And that was the case until well into the 20th century, which is one of the reasons why even today Portland, Oregon has one of the smallest black populations in the United States of America. Even the sainted Abraham Lincoln uh, took the position, even after the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863, that the enslaved population should be emancipated, then expelled. Uh, Even the sainted Frederick Douglass after the U.S. Civil War got involved in this harebrained scheme of negotiating with the Dominican Republic to expel a substantial number of newly freed enslaved people to the Dominican Republic. So Donald J. Trump is a descendant of this faction. When he says that he can criticize the United States in his inauguration address, can speak of carnage on these shores, he can criticize the United States, but obviously those not defined as white are not allowed to criticize this country. And even if you look today in 2019, when we see this struggle over so-called white spaces, for example, black people being expelled from a Starbucks in Philadelphia, for example, and all these other videos where you see cops being called on black people for invading so-called white spaces, when you see this debate about busing involving Senator, then-Senator Joe Biden, uh, which was an attempt to keep black kids out of white spaces, meaning public schools, These struggles are all descendants of this white man's country theme in U.S. history that historians generally have ignored. And in this um, mystery, this fantasy, uh, acting as if the majority of Euro-Americans were akin to John Brown, Uh, even black Americans, uh, even black Americans on the left oftentimes fall into this ridiculous notion that they would like the nation to live up to its so-called founding ideals. Which founding ideal are they referring to? Are they referring to slavery? Or are they referring to the white man's country of faction? I think the bottom line is this. Unless we begin to grapple seriously with this notion of send her back and the poison that it represents, sooner than rather than later, we'll be faced with a new slogan, which will be send them back. That is to say, all those not defined as, quote, white, unquote, which would then effectuate this long-time, long-term dream of creating a so-called white man's country. Well, what do you mean seriously deal with it? We have a progressive audience. We have people who consider themselves activists and, and who are working either in the movement for black lives or, you know, so many other things that actually had some victories this week. People are really fighting on a lot of different fronts and really struggling right now under this um, Trump administration, which is also fighting on many fronts, you know, against us, you know, including the climate, which, you know, will kill him as well as all of us. Right. 
So when you say fight back or get serious, what's your take on that? Well, I think the import of what I've been saying for the past few minutes is that even progressive people have a very naive idea of the history of this country. When, for example, they speak about the nation being compelled to live up to its founding ideals. I mean, if you have such a fundamentally flawed idea of the history of the country, it would be as akin to saying, if you're fighting in apartheid South Africa, that just because the regime was able to provide benefits for the population to find us white, you would then hope that the regime could live up to its ideals to extend those benefits to those not defined as white. So in order to have a political agenda, you need a political strategy. In order to have a political strategy, we have to know something about the correlation of forces on the ground and have an idea of who are the antagonists and who are the advocates and who are the allies. And I think historically, as I've been saying, until my voice becomes hoarse, that we've had to extend the battlefield by struggling on an international level, which is why I speak so often about international issues. And to the extent that our movements are not engaged on that front, it seems to me that they've lost control of the plot. So we've been talking about what's continuing to happen with Iran and what I I think I referred to earlier in the show is uh, what some people are calling Trump's politics of distraction is going on here. There are important things happening in other parts of the world that, that we're very much involved in. And so we've been talking about this tanker that British military seized, I guess, about two weeks ago at this point. And this is all still unfolding. And then in response, Iran said basically this wouldn't stand, that this is basically piracy. So what's the latest in what's happening in this kind of slow bubbling crisis over there? Well, the 45th U.S. president has announced that the U.S. military has shut down some sort of Iranian aerial vehicle. Also, the Iranians have been accused of taking or seizing a tanker, an oil tanker from heretofore an unnamed foreign country. And that has caused temperatures to rise at the State Department. Likewise, the U.S. Pentagon has announced that it's sending hundreds of U.S. troops to Saudi Arabia, supposedly because of this crisis with Iran. And on a similar note, Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky is negotiating with the 45th U.S. president to be sent to Iran to become a kind of negotiator for the United States with regard to resolving this crisis, and the fact that Secretary of State Michael Pompeo has been talking about how he feels that the two sides, the United States and Iran, are closer to talks, and the Iranians, of course, denied this, it seems to me that a note of panic uh, might be uh, settling in in Washington because they realize that they may be in over their heads. They may find that their Saudi ally, in particular, is in jeopardy. So this plot, I'm afraid to say, is still unfolding. Well, also, there's other news out of that region of the world. Uh, I understand that an accord has finally been reached in Sudan, but I've been reading, I guess, reports on Thursday that the rebels aren't happy with the agreement. Well, in the Sudan, what I've read is that after protracted negotiations, some sort of agreement has been inked between the two sides, the civilian protesters on the one hand 
and the military forces on the other hand. Now, whether or not this accord will stick, whether or not it will be enacted and effectuated is another story altogether. And of course, the overriding issue, as we've been stressing on, on the ground, is this external interference by Egypt, the UAE, and the Saudis, which it seems to me has to be dealt with somehow. Otherwise, it's going to be very difficult for any sort of peace to arrive in Sudan. Well, and then finally, some really historic good news. You know, it's always good to have, you know, when we can have some good news. Leaders from Ethiopia and Eritrea met. Tell us about that. Well, as you know, about a year or so ago, there was a historic breakthrough in terms of peace between the often warring neighbors, speaking of Ethiopia and Eritrea. And it led to reciprocal visits to Asmara and Addis Ababa by the Ethiopian leaders on the one hand to Eritrea and the Eritrean leaders on the other hand to Ethiopia. Now, within the last 24 to 48 hours, you've seen the prime minister of Ethiopia, uh, who just survived what appeared to be an attempted coup attempt, uh, landed in Asmara to try to solidify relations between Eritrea and Ethiopia. And uh, we wish him Godspeed and can only hope for the best. Okay, well, there's certainly a lot going on from that's connecting D.C. to Africa and and not only Africa, but the Middle East as well. So we'll definitely keep watching these stories. And I thank you so much for your contribution to today's show, Gerald. Thank you. Breaking rocks out here on the chain gang. Breaking rocks and serving my time. Breaking rocks out here on the chain gang. Cause the dumb convicted me a crime. Hold it steady right there while I hit it. Well, I reckon that ought to get it. Been working and working, but I still got so terribly far to go. I committed crime, Lord, I need Crime of being hungry and poor I left the grocery store and breathing When they caught me robbing a store Hold it steady right there while I hit it Well, I reckon that ought to get it Been working and working But I still got so terribly far to go I heard the judge say five years on the chain gang you gonna go. I heard the judge say five years of labor. I heard my old man scream, Lord, he knows. Hold it right there while I hit it. Well, I reckon that ought to get it been working. Well, first, I want to say uh, thank you to all of you for uh, being here today. And I want to send a message of gratitude and thanks to the solidarity that we have received from every corner of our country, from our colleagues to our neighbors. We are grateful for your solidarity, your encouragement, 
in your support in the face of the most recent xenophobic, bigoted remarks from the occupant of our White House. I will always refer to him as the occupant as he is only occupying space. He does not embody the grace, the empathy, the compassion, the integrity that that office requires and that the American people deserve. That being said, I encourage the American people and all of us in this room and beyond to not take the bait. This is a disruptive distraction from the issues of care, concern, and consequence to the American people. That we were sent here with a decisive mandate from our constituents to work on. Everything from reducing the cost of prescription drugs to addressing our affordable housing crisis to ensuring that the American people have more than health insurance <laughs> but health care. More recently, thanks to the partnership of Chairman Elijah Cummings and the advocacy of myself and a coalition of advocates I've worked with for decades, we held the first hearing on childhood trauma. And in sitting in that hearing, as we heard about the many manifestations and iterations of childhood trauma in the wake of the public health crisis and epidemic that is gun violence, in the wake of PTSD, in the wake of those battling substance abuse disorder and a host of other things, it was impossible not to think of the trauma that is being inflicted upon children every day at our border. At the end of the day, if we improve the conditions of children in a cage, they are still in a cage. And we are viscerally, vigorously, and fundamentally opposed to the criminalizing, the vilifying, the mass detention and deportation of migrant families who are simply doing what is their legal human right, and that is to seek asylum. In the tradition of who we say we are as a country, a beacon of light and hope and of refuge. This is simply a disruption and a distraction from the callous, chaotic, and corrupt culture of this administration all the way down. We want to get back to the business of the American people and why we were sent here, reducing the cost of prescription drugs, addressing the public health crisis and epidemic that is gun violence, addressing the racial wealth gap, and yes, making sure that families stay together. I also would like to just underscore the fact that despite the occupant of the White House attempts to marginalize us and to silence us, please know that we are more than four people. We ran on a mandate to advocate for and to represent those ignored, left out, and left behind. Our squad is big. Our squad includes any person committed to building a more equitable and just world. And that is the work that we want to get back to. And given the size of this squad and this great nation, we cannot, we will not be silenced. And now I'll invite Representative Omar to offer a few words as well. Thank you, Congresswoman um, Ayanna Presley. 
This country was founded on the radical idea that we are created equal and endowed by our creator with in, inalienable rights. And yes, we have a long way before we fully live up to those values. It is for this reason precisely that we have to take action when a president is openly violating the oath he took to the Constitution of the United States and the core values we aspire to. As Martin Luther King said, all we say to America is, be true to what you say on paper. I believe this is a pivotal moment in our country. The eyes of history is watching us. Right now, the president is carrying out mass deportation raids across this country in each one of our districts. Right now, the president is committing human rights abuses at the border, keeping children in cages, and having human beings drinking out of toilets. This is a president who has overseen the most corrupt administration in our history and pursued an agenda to allow millions of Americans to die from a lack of health care while he transfers millions of dollars in tax cuts to corporations. This is a president who has said, grab women by the pussy. This is a president who's called black athletes sons of bitches. This is a president who has called black people who come from black and brown countries holes. This is a president who has equated neo-Nazis with those who protest against them in Charlottesville. This is a president who has openly violated the very value our country aspires to uphold. Equality under the law, religious liberty, equal protection, and protection from persecution. And to distract from that, he's launching a blatantly racist attack on four duly elected members of the United States of House of Representatives, all of whom are women of color. This is the agenda of white nationalists. Whether it is happening in chat rooms, or it's happening on national TV, and now it's reached the White House garden. He would love nothing more than to divide our country based on race, religion, gender, orientation, or immigration status. Because this is the only way he knows he can prevent the solidarity of us working together across all of our differences. The only way to prevent us confronting the problems our country is facing, whether it is health care, climate change, student debt, or our endless wars. This is his plan to pit us against one another. This is how he can continue to enrich his friends and distract us from the detrimental policies that his administration is pushing forth. So we can either continue to enable this president and report on the bile of garbage that comes out of his mouth, or we can hold him accountable to his crimes. We can continue to turn a blind eye of the multiple crimes he's accused of, 
We can stand while he violates peace people's basic human rights and the responsibility that his administration has for the deaths of children on our border, or we can take action. I have not made impeachment central to my election or my tenure, but since the day that I'd gotten elected, I'd said to people, it is not if he will be impeached, but when. So it is time for us to stop allowing this president to make a mockery out of our Constitution. It's time for us to impeach this president. So now um, we're going to have Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, I'll try to keep things as brief, I guess, as I can. But who knows when I get on a roll, right? When I was a little girl, my father took me to the reflecting pool here. We were on a road trip from New York to Florida to visit family. And I've told this story before, but it was my first time ever with visiting Washington, D.C. And it was my only time visiting Washington, D.C. for years, if not decades. And. He rested me on the side of the reflecting pool and had my toes dip in the water. And he had me look at the Washington Monument, had me look at the Capitol, had me look at the entirety of the capital of our, of our great country. And he looked at everything and he pointed to all of it and he said, this belongs to all of us. This belongs to you and it belongs to me. And so the first note that I want to tell children across this country is that no matter what the president says, this country belongs to you. And it belongs to everyone. And today, that notion, that very notion was challenged. This weekend, that very notion was challenged. So I am not surprised when, a, when the president says that four sitting members of Congress should, quote, go back to their own country when he has authorized raids without warrants on thousands of families across this country. I am not surprised that he uses the rhetoric that he does when he violates international human rights and takes thousands of children away from their families. I am not surprised that he has turned our public education system under the leadership of Betsy DeVos into a cash cow to enrich himself and his friends. I am not surprised when he corrupts via the Secretary of Transportation. I am not surprised at what he's doing. But I also know that we're focused on making it better because we don't leave the things that we love. And when we love this country, what that means is that we propose the solutions to fix it. We love all people in this country, and that's why we believe health care is a human right. We, we love all children in this country, and because we do, that's why we fight for education for all children through college. And so we'll stay focused on our agenda, and we won't get caught slipping, because all of this is a distraction. It's a distraction from what's most important and from our core values as American citizens. And with that, I'll hand it over to Rashida Fleet. 
Thank you so much. Thank you to my sisters in service. Thank you all so much for being here. As we all know, the recent tweets and words from the president are simply a continuation of his racist and xenophobic playbook. We cannot allow these hateful actions by the president to distract us from the critical work to hold this administration accountable to the inhumane conditions at the border that is separating children from their loved ones and caging them up in illegal, horrific conditions. I represent the third poorest congressional district in this country, one that is made of working people who have been targeted by this administration and their actions and words are hurting them today. I was elected to fight for them, fight for the 13th congressional district. They sent me here to Congress to fight back against the corporate assault and the corruption in our country. This means supporting an impeachment inquiry of this president and his actions by the uh, administration and his appointees. Sadly, this is not the first, nor will it be the last time we hear disgusting, bigoted language from the president. We know this is who he is, and we know that he and his administration are constantly engaged in actions that harm residents and American people in our country. Many members of Congress have called for his impeachment because of his utter disregard and disrespect of the United States Constitution. And despite this and other many attempts to distract us, I remain focused. We remain focused on holding him accountable to the laws of this land and accountable to the American people. I urge House leadership, many of my colleagues, to take action to impeach this lawless president today. And now we'll take two or three questions. Mary? Thank you very much. Um, the president today said that many people agree with him and support these comments. I'm wondering if you can speak directly to those supporters of the president and explain why these comments are so harmful and hurtful. And on a personal note, if you can discuss the consequences and impact a bit of these comments. Have you had to up your security? Are you receiving um, I would just say that uh, the experience that he offered is in contradiction to the experience that I have every day, including in the airport on my way here. There were many people who approached me and who said, I disagree with some of your policies. I'm an independent. I'm a Republican. But I think what he did was wrong. And he won't apologize, but I am going to apologize. So I have um, experienced nothing in the wake of those comments, uh, again, but words of uh, denouncing these xenophobic, bigoted words. But again, this is a distraction, and we should not take the bait. We can sit here and continue to recycle his hateful rhetoric, of which I cannot feign surprise, or inflated outrage because he is, if nothing else, predictable. What we are focused on are the hateful policies that are draconian and oppressive and life-threatening and family-separating that is being rolled out by this administration every day. Um, uh, Omar, uh, Omar in particular, but to all of you, can you respond to some of the president's specific claims, most notably that you're a communist and that you're pro-Al-Qaeda? You might have noticed how when he said, go back to where you came from, there was an uproar um, through the through all of our communities because every single person who's brown and black at some point in their life in this country heard that. 
Now, when he made the comment, uh, I know that every single Muslim who has lived in this country and across the world has heard that comment. And so I will not dignify it with an answer because I know that every single Islamophobe, every single person who is hateful, who is uh, driven by an ideology of othering as this president is, uh, rejoices in us responding to that and us defending ourselves. I do not expect every time there is a white supremacist who attacks or there is a, a white man who kills in, in a school or in a movie theater or um, in, uh, in a mosque or in a synagogue, I don't expect my white community members to respond on whether they love that person or not. And so I think it is beyond time, it's beyond time to ask Muslims to condemn terrorists. We are no longer going to allow uh, the dignification of such ridiculous, ridiculous statement. Congresswoman, Congresswoman, Some of you have made comments that the president took issue with uh, that were controversial. Do you think that some of those comments made, if they were inflammatory, if they were controversial, that this situation would be different? Because he specifically directed some of those same comments back at the court. Can you repeat that? The president took issue with some of the comments that some of you have made on a, on a host of issues and turned them back around. Had those comments not been made, whether they be controversial or not, and you perceive them as being controversial, you think that that would make this situation different? In other words, he would have the firepower to turn it back around. No. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I, I will take this, and I think Alex uh, has, a, has, a, has a great answer for this, so I'll let her finish it. Every single statement that we make is from a place of extreme love for every single person in this country. It is part of the mandate of why we ran for office and why we got elected. Every single person wants to make sure that they have people in the halls of Congress that is fighting to make sure that they have health care, that they have uh, an education that is suitable in the United States, that they have access to proper roads and bridges, that they have access to clean water, and clean air, every single person here in the United States knows that we are fighting every single day to create a more perfect union and to fight on their behalf. Now, when people say, if you say a negative thing about the policies in this country, you hate this country, to me, it sort of speaks to the hypocrisy, and Alex and I were talking about this. When this president ran, and until today, he talked about everything that was wrong in this country and how he was going to make it great. And so for him to condemn us and to say we are un-American for wanting to work hard to make this country be the country we all deserve to live in, 
complete hypocrisy. Absolutely. And I don't think it would have changed anything because, first of all, he made statements that were blatantly untrue. So whether he was citing comments or not citing comments, if he didn't have what he wanted to say, he would make it up. This president operates in complete bad faith. He does not operate in good faith. And so that's one thing. But second, second to, to the previous question as well, weak minds and leaders challenge loyalty to our country in order to avoid challenging and debating the policy. This president does not know how to make the argument that Americans do not deserve health care. He does not know how to defend his policies. So what he does is attack us personally. And that is what this is all about. He can't look a child in the face and he can't look all Americans in the face and justify why this country is throwing them in cages. So instead, he tells us that I should go back to the great borough of the Bronx and make it better. And that's what I'm here to do. Thank you all so much for being here. We really do appreciate it. Thank you very much. You have been listening to a press conference held Monday, July 15, 2019, by Representatives Ilhan Omar, Ayanna Presley, Rashida Tlaib, and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, responding to tweets by Donald Trump that they go back to their countries even though three were born in the United States. This is On the Ground on Pacifica Radio. Stay with us. Good evening. It is so good to be here, standing together. I just would like us to just take a moment to look around and see our neighbor's face, look into each other's eyes. I want us to recognize something that the beloved community that the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. talked about was not a pipe dream. It was a living reality. And the beloved community is present here tonight. Before we pray, I would like to invoke the spirit and lift up the name of Doña Rosa Gutierrez Lopez who has been in sanctuary at Cedar Lane Unitarian Universalist Church since December 2018, choosing, choosing to fight back against an unjust deportation order that was issued against her and choosing to stay here to fight for her family, her three children. friends join together and say Rosa Presente! Presente! And now let us pray. I invite you to take just a few moments to center yourselves, inviting your mind, body, and spirit into this space made sacred by our presence made sacred by our stories, 
our prophetic witness and the holy known by many names in which we live, move, breathe and have our being. Nameless one of many names, eternal spirit of love that will not let us go, let us down nor let us off the hook. We gather tonight in solidarity with all those across this nation, children and adults who are being held in detention centers, who are living in sanctuary or living in shadows in fear. We gather to shine a light on the inhumane treatment of migrants and refugees by our government. We hold in love and prayer who feel the crushing weight of prejudice and oppression, the invisibility of disregard or the searing pain of being denied their very humanity. Hard as it is, we seek to pray for the leaders who lie and promote racism and fear and their colleagues who are too cowardly to speak up for justice and truth. Mm, mm. Hard as it is, O oh Spirit, we pray for our government which condones and enforces these immoral practices. And we pray for our business leaders who profit from unlawful detention and separation of families. Mm. We pray that their hearts be broken open to heed your greatest commandment to welcome and love our neighbors. Spirit of compassion, open our eyes to see the faces of mothers and fathers who risk everything including their lives for the sake of their children. May we see them and our immigrant neighbors, not as threats, but as siblings whose dignity is intertwined with our own dignity and whose lack of freedom calls into question our own freedom. Open our eyes and our ears to see and hear the cries of children separated from their parents, rounded up in raids, sent to detention centers and imprisoned in cages. Grant those now in bondage shelter and solace, comfort and consolation. But, O oh Spirit, release them now. Reunite them with their families. Free them. Heal them. Source of justice who crosses all boundaries, give us the wisdom to see that all human beings have inherent worth, dignity, and divinity. Give us the courage to resist, to say no, and show the resilience of love's resistance. Give us the strength to confront the prejudice and intolerance of those who are fearful, to rise up together with and for your love that has no borders or boundaries, and for faith to believe that the beloved community is both possible and, necess and a necessity. Give us the will 
to leave behind and open up the safety of our sanctuaries and temples to love enough to risk becoming a sanctuary for all who are threatened. And let us never forget that we have the moral responsibility to bring forth justice, equity, and compassion into these times. In the name of all that is holy and life-affirming, let us all say peace. peace. Shalom. Shalom. Salam. Salam. Satsriyakal. Amen. Amen. Om Shanti. Om Shanti. So may it be. And the Reverend Abi Janamanchi, Senior Minister at Cedar Lane Unitarian Universalist Church in Bethesda, Maryland, will have the last word on today's show. He was speaking at the Lights for Liberty rally that attracted thousands in front of the White House on June 12, 2019. The rally was to protest conditions at U.S. immigration concentration camps, including the abuse of children and adults and the ongoing separation of families. This is On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital on Pacifica Radio. Go to onthegroundshow.org to support us, work with us, and listen to all of our current and past shows. If you like the show, let us know by liking us on Facebook or Twitter under On the Ground Show. You can catch the podcast on iTunes or Google Play under the title WPFW On the Ground. And we would appreciate a nice rating from you on our podcast. The music we played this hour included James Brown, I Don't Want Nobody to Give Me Nothing, Open Up the Door, I'll Get It Myself, Nina Simone, The Work Song, and our theme music is Voodoo Child by Jimi Hendrix. I'm Esther Ivarum. Until next time, keep raising your voice. Peace. Peace.